Turn with me in your Bibles to John 21. John 21. As you're turning there, I want to remind you that in our prep uh, to go to two services, the second week of July, I believe it's July 9th, you saw the info uh, uh, that they put out this week. Um, we are we're looking at ways to tighten up the service a little bit to try and do what we do in two hours in an hour and a half. And so if you have announcements that need to be made, uh, coming in on a Sunday morning and just saying, hey, can I make an announcement this morning? It's going to be, it's going to be, we're going to struggle to do that. So you need to get them in early in the week so that we can get them and, and let these guys um, threaten my job or whatever it is they're doing here. So uh, just remember that. John chapter 21, I I will say this, I have favorite books in the Bible, I have favorite characters in the Bible, probably just like you, and uh, I have favorite scriptures uh, out of the Bible, probably just like you, Uh, my pastor, the man who discipled me, when I started my journey and my walk with Christ, he says, Don, you got to find a scripture to live by and a scripture to die by. And uh, that was very encouraging, and so I have some of those scriptures in my faith and those things. Um, But I also have a favorite chapter in the Bible, and it's John chapter 21. And there are a lot of reasons for that, Uh, and we're going to work through some of that. I made a statement last week in my sermon, and I talked a little bit about Peter and how Peter was able to go back to what he was doing after his discouragement and disappointment because of the death of Jesus. Because his hopes didn't work out like he had pictured them. And in what he felt like was a moment of failure, he returned backwards. And I, and I moved on. And as I re-listened to the message this week, I, it didn't leave me. This moment in time in Peter's life, it, it just didn't leave me. And so I'm going to share a little bit more out of that, if you will. And obviously, um, because you know the story well, I I want to skip some of the main stories that you know. And let's just look at John 21, verse 1. And after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. Everybody say a second time. So this is after the resurrection. Jesus has revealed himself to the disciples once. But here is a second time. And he's by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, very interesting that in John chapter 21, John would put Simon in front of Peter. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. We know John and James, right? Come on. And the two others of the disciples were together. Everybody say seven. So Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, how many know there's joy in the morning? Come on, we sing the song today. Just as the day was breaking, just as the, so in the morning. There's something happening here. Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. Because, see, you've been doing it your way. And you've been doing it your way for so long. Amen. If you do it my way, you'll do it the right way. 
So on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And so cast it. Now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That the disciples whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter. Not Simon Peter. Maybe you don't read your Bible like I, I notice stuff like this. Peter heard that it was the Lord. And he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work. He wasn't naked, but he, you know, hello somebody. He was working. He didn't have his coat on. And he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the shore. Look at verse 14. This was now the third time Jesus revealed to them. Now here we are. He's continuing to reveal himself to them over and over and over. So Father, bless the reading of the word to the hearing of our ear and receiving of our heart. In Jesus' name. And everyone said... Let me open up with a statement. Are you ready? Are you ready? You're not ready. Let me open up with a statement. It's a big revelation. I mean, it's going to hit you hard. Grab your neighbor and hold on to them. They might fall off their seat. This is a huge revelation. I'm just going to open up with what I think is probably the understatement of the last few years anyway. Life sometimes is hard. Now, I studied all week and came up with that myself. I wrote it right down all by myself. You ever been disappointed? Come on. Some disappointments are, wow, I went to, you know, a, a meal at the Blue Gate. And it was one of those things, you know, you sit down at a meal and they've already put the desserts on the table. And you're trying to figure out which seat you want to sit at based on which pie is in front of it, right? Like, I don't like the cherry pie. I want the cream pie. And you're like, and you get there before anybody else gets there, and you start switching the desserts, right? But if you get there late, you just got to take the seat that's open, and everybody's already switched out that dessert about five or six times, and you just get left with the rhubarb pie. And you're like, no. It's disgusting. Listen, who would make a pie out of celery? Stop that. Oh, they put sugar in it. You cannot, you cannot put a, sugar is for sweet tea, not celery. Stop it. Sit down in front of rhubarb pie. Never been so disappointed in all my life. That's disgusting. Next, next you, you know them people, next you'll be making pie out of beets. Tastes like dirt. I'm a grown man. I do not have to eat beets. You've been, you been disappointed? Maybe not. Maybe, maybe just, okay, I can get over the pie thing. Should have been on a diet anyway. I don't even drink beer, and I got a beer. Hello, somebody. Struggles, hard times, disasters. Tragedies. I mean, heartache. Come on, church. Failing economy. How about this? The fall of moral principles. Lawlessness. You ever disappointed? You ever, you ever, 
come on, nothing can disappoint you more than family struggles. Societal confusion. Political rhetoric on top of religious rhetoric. Come on, it just leaves us waking up and then we go to bed. It leaves us waking up disappointed, right? And I just want to be honest as a believer. I love, the, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been saved since 1992. I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. I've been in church leadership for a long time. I've discipled a lot of people and helped people walk with Jesus. I mean, we've done all kinds of things, right? But I'm just going to be honest this moment. And, and I think you heard some of that this year in some of the sermon series that we put out. But there are times, even in my walk, when I have been discouraged and disappointed with God. Even to the point of questioning God. But then I get, I return to the scripture. Hello, somebody. And I see great men of God like David and Job. And I, I see Jeremiah and Elijah. And, and, and I see the disciples. And I see every one of those great men, great Bible heroes that we look to for encouragement. And, and the, the ability to, to press on. The ability to not push the checkout button we talked about last week. But instead press on. I look at them and, and, and I want to be like them. But then if I really slow down to read, I understand and experience. Uh, see that they also experience great times of discouragement, great times of disappointment. And you know, the truth of the matter is the way we view and respond in times of disappointment and discouragement determines how we press on and whether we're able to live in joy. Peter says, what? I'm going fishing. Peter, Peter, the guy who stepped out of the boat. Peter, the guy who declares, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter, that guy, that guy. That guy who, who is willing to draw a sword for Jesus. That guy, Peter. I'm just tired. I'm, in. I'm not talking about going fishing like I do on the river. Just take my pole. Hello, somebody. Get in my kayak. and My wife's like, where you been? Not dealing with stupid. I said it. You didn't even tell me. I was like, yeah, I just needed to. Hello, somebody. I'm not talking about that kind of fishing. I'm talking about dealing with disappointment and discouragement. I'm talking about dealing with misconceptions, even in my walk with Christ. Verse 1 says, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. After, so Jesus appears to them in his resurrection. But if we, if we, if we move back to chapter 20, uh, we, we see that in the resurrection, peace was given to them, promises were made, and the disciples were glad. But Thomas wasn't there with them in John chapter 20. We call him Doubting Thomas. But see, I, I, don't, I don't believe Thomas was a doubter. I believe Thomas was a believer. 
I just, I just believe that Thomas didn't want to live on someone else's faith. Come on, young people. See, too much of it is I'm living on my pastor's faith. I go to that church. He's my preacher. Come on, somebody. I, I go here. I go there. I believe this. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Pentecostal. I'm a Mennonite. Too much of that kind of stuff is we live in a... But Thomas is like, I don't have time for all that mess. I don't want to live on your testimony. Thomas is not a doubter. He just wasn't with them the first time Jesus appeared. But in the latter part of chapter 20, verse 26... And after eight days, again, the disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Now, I love Jesus, and I love my prayer time with Jesus. I love my word time with Jesus. I, I, love, I love my time with Jesus. I love my worship time with Jesus. I love my preaching time with Jesus. I'd rather preach and eat. But I'm going to be, I've seen Jesus do some miracles. We pray for people. I've, I've seen some things with, with my own eyes that if I were to tell you some of those stories, you wouldn't believe that anything else I've got to say. I've seen the Lord do some incredible things. But I'm just going to be honest with you. If I'm in a room behind a locked door and Jesus walks through the door, there might not be a whole lot of peace there for a minute. What's up, y'all? You don't read your Bible like I do. See, to me, when I read the Scripture and I see the number eight, it's a sign of new beginnings. Eight days. Jesus appears for a second time. And to me, I, I loved math growing up. I see the number two and I think about division. Come on. Please don't put any spiritual aspect on these things. I'm just working through some scripture. And I think two is the number I use to divide things. Eight is a number of new because we know seven represents completion. Six is not a demonic, satanic, bad number. It's just the number of incompletion. It's not finished. It's not finished. 666 isn't the devil's number. That's God's statement that I ain't done. I'm not finished. Seven is I'm finished. I rest. That's done. Everything is done. There it is. It's good. Hello, somebody. And so now I'm, I'm moving through some things, and, and I'm seeing here, right? And I'm seeing new beginnings, and then there's a division. And I'm thinking, you know what? Here we are, Jesus, really in his resurrected state. He's coming with a new beginning, and he's dividing old things from new things, Old Testament from the New Testament. He's dividing the law from the promise, right? And he's showing them a new beginning, all the things they had experienced in the past. All the things they had gone through and learned up to this point were a part of the progress to get them to the new beginning. And that's why it's important that Thomas is there. So Jesus bypasses everybody. 
and walks straight over to Thomas, who's not a doubter. He just wants his own faith. And says, hey, Thomas, go ahead. Put your hand right in here. Go ahead. I heard you. I mean, even though the Lord hears you. See, y'all know, the Lord hears you. He said, Thomas said, I'm tired of y'all. I'm tired of all your monkey business. I'm I'm not living on your faith. I'm not going to believe unless I see Jesus with my own eyes and I put my hand in the holes in his hands and in the the hole in his side. How many know Jesus heard him? He wasn't there. He wasn't in the room, remember? But Jesus heard him. And then when Jesus shows up, he bypasses everybody else who's got all this nonsense going on. And he walks over to the person in the room who wants real faith. Go ahead, Thomas. Let me and you show them. You know what Thomas said? I'm good. <laughs> I saw I needed Jesus. Watch this. What we believe in a moment is doubt is soothed because of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus performs these signs in the presence of his disciples. And he did all these things. We find ourselves at the Sea of Tiberias. We find ourselves in the scripture right here. But all the disciples weren't there at this time either. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. Verse 20 says, there together Simon Peter, Thomas, the twin, or your Bible might say uh, called Didymus, that means twin, Nathaniel of Canaan of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, John and James, we know who they are, and two other disciples. Everybody say, that totals seven. Spiritual completeness. The most mentioned number in the Bible, seven. There's something you need to understand about the order of these disciples mentioned here. Because God always moves in a divine order. The Bible often speaks about three guys. Peter, James, and John. See, this is why I tell you all the time. You can't just read your Bible. You got to... Some of y'all are getting it. You can't, you can't just read it. you got to understand that something is happening here. And, man, why do I always see these three knuckleheads? Why, why are they? Uh, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Who was there? There they were, those three guys. When Jairus' daughter died, who did Jesus take with him? Can't even have a good funeral around Jesus. Peter, James, and John. Everybody else is going to be doubting. There she is. Jairus' daughter is dead. She is dead. And he takes these three guys with him. He takes all of this. Why is it that at one point there's 70, then at another point there's 12, but these three guys out of all of them are able to go to different places that no one else could go? Come on. People like to argue that Peter, James, and John were Jesus' favorites. But to people who like to argue that, here's what I like to say. Because theologically what I see happens is they fail to understand what Peter, James, and John represent. They fail to understand the purpose because they fail to understand divine order. I'm going fishing. 
I'm disappointed. I'm discouraged. What I thought was going to happen didn't. And so I'm going to go backwards instead of... Watch this. Watch this. You see, I don't believe that Peter ever represents failure in the scripture. Did Peter fail? You know what I want to talk to people about when they say, hey, you know, you're a preacher, but you're not perfect? Or when they want to use my past to try and disqualify me from what God has called me to do and what I'm doing for the Lord over the last 30 years? Because they do it, you know, religious crowd especially. Listen, the whole reason Jesus came is because I wasn't perfect. The whole reason Jesus came is because I needed him. And so many people say, oh, I just can't do it. I just, you know, I just can't forgive myself. You know how many people are paralyzed in the moment of saying, I can't forgive myself? They're just paralyzed. I, I, you know, I can't forgive myself for what I did. Listen to me. Biblically and theologically, you know why you can't forgive yourself? You're not capable of doing it. It's not your job. It's Jesus' job, and he already did it. Why are you greater than Jesus? If you could forgive yourself, you wouldn't need him. Listen, I was a knucklehead. I was angry. Mad at the world? I mean, I just ready to go. Jesus came in and, and saved me and he forgave me. You know what I say to all those people who want to use the past against me to say I can't do what God's called me to do today or tomorrow? How did you escape? They don't want to have that conversation because they know they didn't. And that's not the point. Peter doesn't represent failure to me. Peter represents faith. See, some of you in in this this room listening right now, Stephanie came up during worship and said, you know, there's some people who won't even give their heart and life to Jesus to let him save them and wash them, right? Cleanse them as far as the east is from the west. Make them righteous in his own blood because... They won't even give their heart to Jesus because of their failure. Peter represents faith. We often talk about Peter. We preach sermons about Peter's failure. Peter sank. Have you ever heard a sermon about Peter sinking? Took his eyes off Jesus. Let me just help you out. That's no new revelation. Every time you take your heart, eyes off Jesus, you're going to sink. Oh, Peter denied him three times. Oh, Peter was quick-tempered. Yet he's still this representation of faith. You see, because I would look at you and say, as I read the Bible, even though Peter may have sank in a moment in the ocean, it took faith to get out of the boat to start with. None of the rest of those guys did. When Jesus asked, whom do you say that I am? You know what the rest of them commented? 
the popular belief. The rest of them went with the crowd. Who do men say that I am? Jesus has taken his disciples on a little walk. He stopped at a cave that water flows out of. And the area in that region was the only clean water in that area. And this cave had walls on the side of it. And water's flowing out of this cave. And people would come there to get clean water to drink out of. It was the only place in that area to get potable water. And so people were there. And, and, and the pagans had carved holes into the walls of this cave and placed idols. And they would come there. And worship those idols for the clean, life-giving water that flowed out of this cave. And Jesus takes his disciples on a little hike one day. And he gets to this cave. And all of his disciples are sitting down. Jesus got his back to his disciples. He's looking at this cave with all of these idols. And he says... Who do men say that I am? As everybody is looking at all these false gods, all the things that people worship, Jesus says to his disciples with his back to them, Who do men say that I am? And you know what some of them said? The popular belief. Ah, Elijah. Isaiah. One of the prophets. And then Jesus turns around and looks at them. And says, but who do you say that I am? In the middle of a moment in this area where false gods are worshipped. Jesus got his back to his disciples looking at all these false gods. Who am I? And they shout out, prophets, Elijah, Isaiah. And then he turns around and looks at them with his back to the false gods. And says, but I want to know who you think I am. And Peter doesn't hesitate. He doesn't back up. He doesn't balk at it. He doesn't try to concord. He's not Googling it. And he's not chat GPT in it. Without hesitation, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but the Spirit of God. Man, there's this moment of faith. There's this moment of declaration about who Jesus is. About right there in the middle where they worship false gods. Jesus is being declared the Son of the living God. And that goes contrary to the popular belief. You see, a lot of people... Or in, on the bandwagon when things are popular. But true faith is being able to stand in a moment when it's not popular. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, upon this rock I'll build my church. Not Peter. Peter. It's not Peter that Jesus is building the church on. It's the revelation that Jesus is the son of the living God. That's the foundation of the church. Not Peter. It's the revelation. Jesus is the foundation of the church. I got news for you. Peter doesn't want to be the foundation of the church. Why? Because there are times in his life where he'd just rather go. I'm, I'm preaching this morning. You don't even know it. James and John. Brothers. Sons of Zebedee. When you read about them in the Bible, you always see them together. The Bible never mentions them separate. They're always together. It's not James. It's not John. It's always James and John. James and John. James and John. James and John. Hello, somebody. You know them as who? The sons of... Yeah, I love these guys. They're my favorites. People just messing up. They won't listen. They won't pay attention. James and John are like, hey, Jesus, we want to help you out. 
Let us just call down lightning and we'll take care of it. You ever want to take things in your own hands? Oh, that's a different sermon. The reason they're mentioned together is because of what they represent. Peter represents faith. Two things that always go together. Two things that always go together. Are you ready? Two things. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Wherever faith goes, Peter, goodness and mercy always follow. What does Psalms 23 say? Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Come on, somebody. Why? Because I had faith to believe that the Lord is my shepherd. I can have faith to believe that I don't have to want for anything. Because I had faith to believe that the Lord is my shepherd. I have faith to believe goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's why when I hear so much about Peter, James, and John, I understand that to be in his presence requires faith. And when you have faith, goodness and mercy automatically follow. When Jairus' daughter died, he let no man follow him but who? Faith, goodness, and... Where to put this in Bible college? It's right there. Three, faith, goodness, and mercy. Three, faith, goodness, and mercy. Eight, new beginning. Seven, completion. Two, let's divide this thing. Faith, goodness, and mercy, there's three. The second most mentioned number in the Bible. It speaks of solidity. It's a symbol of fullness. It represents the three Godhead. Come on, church. But in 21, chapter 21, my favorite chapter in the Bible, verse 2, I see something. Simon Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathan of Canaan, sons of Zebedee, two other disciples, seven, spiritual completeness. We know in this moment the Lord is doing something in perfect completeness at the Sea of Tiberias, but something was about to happen that they would not have to come. Come on. Let me look at this. When, when Peter... We know now faith. He's called Simon Peter here. I want you to grab this. this is well, here's the reason. Because he's at a moment in his life where he's getting ready to go through some things that's going to change his life. Have you ever gone through some trouble, some tragedy, some struggle, some disappointment, some discouragement, and, and you came out on the other side of that thing and you were never the same? Maybe the way you process life because of that, you're never the same. You went through some things and your life was transformed, good or bad. But here, God's about to impart to them something that would literally catapult them all into a new beginning. I believe that's where the church is at right now. I believe all of this thing, right, everything we've seen, this revival inside of our young people, uh, our church growing over the last few years has gotten younger. Hello, somebody. Our investment in what we're doing and our vision and who we are and, and how we're worshiping God and how we're preaching the word of God and how we're impacting the community. Everything is focusing, right? I believe, I believe that God is even bringing this church into a new beginning. The body of Christ as a whole is coming to a new beginning. The, 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 the culture or the environment of society as a whole 
the church is at the precipice of a new beginning. And churches that refuse it and balk and step back and refuse to embrace the new beginning, come on, there's a fade that's even happening. But God needed them to be prepared to handle what was coming. So in their minds, what they were experiencing didn't meet their expectations. You ever been there? Come on. What you're, this is not, I didn't sign up for, hello somebody. This was not what I was expecting. Come on, in my mind, I had to go in a different. Just yesterday, I sat my wife down and I told her, I said, hey, you know, um, I need to say something. I, I just, I, I, I'm going to, I need to share something. I got, I got an idea, but I, I need you to be open-minded. Now, David is standing on the other side of the room here, and I love it. Me and David are kindred spirits. And I look over at him, and my wife's like, oh, oh Lord, what is it? And I, I see this grin come on David's face. And we're tracking. And I said, I, said, I, but I, just, I need you to be open-minded. Okay, before I say this, I need you to just, can you just be open-minded? And she was like, what is it? I said, see, I feel you're already not open-minded. I feel like you're just not there, and you're like, you're like closing up even tighter. And, and I just, she's like, Dawn, what is it? I said, see, you just locked the door. You're like, it's just nice, closed. It's just, and David is just dying, laughing over there. And she's like, she looking, you're not helping. <laughs> Because I knew what I was about to say was something she wasn't going to expect. Everybody in the room's not like, what, what is it? That's none of your business. So, <laughs> and part two, next week. This is what's happening. This, this is not what we experience. That's why disappointment sets in. That's when, you know why we get disappointed and discouraged? Because something is happening we didn't expect. Because something's happening that wasn't our plan. We get disappointed and discouraged because it didn't go the way we wanted it to. Or we needed it to. Or it broke our hearts because of the way. You, you, come on, somebody. It wasn't easy. They began to struggle. Simon Peter, which is, he's Simon Bar-Jonah, which means Simon, son of Jonah. Come on, somebody. It's his, it, it, Peter's his spiritual name, but the name he, he's called after the transformation, his experience with Christ, he's called Simon Peter because it's literally, he's literally struggling with his human nature, Simon, and his spiritual nature, Peter. He's living, Galatians 5.17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit. And it's at this point that we all realize, man, I'm just like him sometimes. I struggle with the flesh. I'm struggling with the spirit. And the devil really tries to hit you hard with disappointment and discouragement. Come on, somebody. You know you're struggling in the flesh. You know you're struggling with your spirit. And this battle is going on. And when you fail, when you fall to it, when you make the mistake, or when you sin even willfully, after it's over, that's when you feel that condemnation, that discouragement and disappointment, even with yourself, but even with God. It's all there. This was not supposed to happen. We tried so hard. We were really, I don't understand. Why do I keep repeating? Hello, somebody. Y'all not helping me. Which leads me to believe that you are with me. 
So Jesus has been crucified. Peter denies him three times. The number three, fullness, solidity. It's a solid denial. Yet here is the risen Jesus now glorified in body, manifesting himself. Peter, who represents faith, is struggling with the fact that he failed. You ever been there? He feels like I'm a disappointment, and he's discouraged. Come on, church. Come on, husband. You ever feel like you've made, listen, you made a mistake in your marriage, or, or you just made a mistake with how you spoke to your wife, or you just, come on, somebody. And you just, you feel like a disappointment. Come on, dads. Next week's Father's Day. Dads, come on. You ever feel like a disappointment? Come on, moms. Come on, young people. It never goes away. Peter's at this point where he had to reconcile his faith with his current circumstance. Do you know that the Lord never leaves us a day without faith? Do you know that every day that you live is a day you have to learn to reconcile your faith with your current situation? With the current circumstance? Who am I? What do I believe? Every struggle shouts to you. What do you believe? What do you really believe? We all got to come to that point where we reconcile our faith with our circumstance. I know what I believe. I know God can. But what I believe and what I'm dealing with right now, I'm struggling to reconcile. You've been there? I'm struggling to try to make it make sense. If I don't reconcile what it is I'm seeing with what I believe, I'll go out of my mind because I don't have any hope. Can I tell you what, church? Here's the title of the sermon. There is no hope in yesterday. No matter what you do right now, you can't change yesterday. You can't do anything to change yesterday. But what you do right now, you can change all your tomorrows. But to see, we live in hopelessness because we're too busy trying to find hope in yesterday. Yet we lived all our yesterdays and we know the details of all those failures. I'm remembering Jesus said to Peter, the devil's desired you to sift you. And like in that moment, can you imagine Peter's guy like, oh boy, I just, I messed up now. No doubt he feels unworthy to be in the presence of the Lord after everything he's done. Listen, Peter's foot didn't almost slip. Peter fell in and made a big old splash. But he failed to understand that a just man falls seven times and rises up. Oh, it's right there in the book. I don't have a trick Bible. No doubt he's remembering the cross and the crucified Savior and all the things Jesus suffered with. And, and he probably felt like the scum of the earth. And in his mind, he's got to be wondering, what does Jesus want with me? Why does he want anything to do with me? And old Thomas, not a lot spoken about him. We do know he's a twin. There's something about twins. You know some twins? Come on. There's something about twins. 
They're just weird. Don't pretend like Donnie, you're not weird. But there's also something about twins that if you really sit down and talk with them, that sometimes they, when they're honest, they feel like they don't have their own identity. And they can sometimes feel incomplete and inferior without the other one. Come on. And so when Thomas is called Didymus or twin, he's made to feel less important. Less important. And this was his way of getting respect. Mine. I will see and touch mine. Not your revelation. Not your doctrine. Mine. Not your experience with Jesus. Not your walk with Jesus. Mine. Hello, somebody. Anybody ever want some R-E-S-P-E-C-T? Some people are writing that down right now. (laughs) Oh, respect. I got it. Now that tune's in your head for the rest of the day. You're welcome. Then there's Nathaniel. Love this guy. He represents the rest of the world. Ooh. He's the one who said, can anything good come from Nazareth? I'm from Malone, Florida. Raise your hand if you know, if you can point to a map where you have no idea. Come on, somebody. That would see. Some of you might say, I'm from Centerville, Michigan. Well, join the club, okay? We both from someplace nobody got a clue. Can anything good come from Malone, Florida? Can anything good come from Centerville, Michigan? Can anything good come from who I am and what I am or where I'm from? Can anything good? Can anything good? That's, that's Nathaniel. See, he was, he, he was full of skepticism. Well, I don't know why Thomas gets that reputation when it was actually Nathaniel. Because see, right? Jesus didn't fit all the glitz and glitter and didn't have all the flash and pizzazz, pizzazz that, that, that Nathaniel was like, right? He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't fit into the so-called norm of society. He didn't really want anything to do with it. And so how many times have you heard someone say, How can you have fun being a Christian? You can't do anything as a Christian. You can't go anywhere. It's just boring. That's the Nathaniel spirit. I have never had so much fun in my life since the day I got saved. Filled with the spirit of God. I've been chasing devils since that day. Funnest thing I ever did. Chase a devil. Why? Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Come on, somebody. You can't have no fun. No, here's the deal. I'm having fun, and I remember it tomorrow. I got to go. It's late. These sons of Zebedee, the goodness and mercy, two of the disciples... That makes seven. So we've got, we've got verse three here. Simon Peter, I'm going fishing. I'm disappointed. 
Uh, In the Greek, it means I'm I'm just going back to what I used to do. He's struggling in his spirit with his flesh and his mind. And and he's saying, I just can't go on. The battle's too long. I'm too disappointed. I'm too discouraged. I'm just going to give up. And I'm going back to what I was comfortable with. And he was in that place between realizing what God had promised him and apprehending what God has promised him. Two different places. In the middle is where discouragement and disappointment happens. We know what God has promised. And we can't apprehend it. And now I'm discouraged. See, many times in in our Christian walk, we want to go to another level. But when we get out there to get to that other level... We find that that order's not as smooth ride. You know what I'm saying? It's just the end of our field. Like last week. Come on, Elisha. Come on. Most people just follow God to the end of their field. But Elisha said, no, no, no. I got I to. I gotta, come on, somebody. The devil is out there and he's against us. There's a big revelation for you. He's not your friend. Sometimes there are people who we thought were on our side, and, and, and they wind up leaving us all alone. Come on, somebody. And we deal with disappointment because things don't meet our expectations, and our thoughts are affected because surely, after all this time of walking with God, I shall be beyond this now. God, here I am. i got to deal with this issue, and my expectation is just busted. And so what do we do? We revert back to what's comfortable. Somebody say amen or oh me. That's why so many times you see people who don't fire for God for a little while and then out of nowhere they're just back to what they were doing. And you're like, why? Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what's comfortable. See, Because Peter represents faith. Everybody say amen. Where faith goes, everything else follows. Where faith goes, everything else follows. How did the others respond to Peter? Hold up. Wait for us. We're going with you. Even goodness and mercy. Because faith went back to what was comfortable. Doubt, insecurity, and skepticism also followed. I told you it wouldn't work. I told you that God was a respecter of persons. I I, I didn't think that there could be anything good in this. But church, listen to me this morning in this place. If you don't hear anything else, I got to say, if you sat to this point and endured this sermon all the way up to this moment, I got good news for you. God said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. So goodness and mercy will come. Not because it's comfortable. Because God is merciful. See, when you decide to go back to what's comfortable, what's familiar, there's a pulling and there's a tugging at you that says, come back to Jesus. Come back to goodness. Come back to mercy. The Bible says that they went forth and they entered that ship and immediately they fished all night and caught nothing. They went back to what was comfortable only to find out it didn't work anymore. It didn't work anymore. 
Because you're not the same person you was before you met Jesus. Some people meet Jesus, walk with Jesus, and then they try to walk away from Jesus and go back to the world. And they wonder, this don't work either. Because you're a different person now. It's not supposed to work. You've been struggling for a long time and you cried this battle between your flesh and the spirit. And you said, Lord, Lord, those simple things that I once knew, uh, they, you know, they're drawing me and you're crying and you're crying. And Lord, have mercy on me. But I remember that scripture and we sang that song this morning. Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Watch this, watch this. Verse 4, chapter 21. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore and the disciples didn't know it was him. Here's a news flash for you. He was standing right where they left him. Can I say to you this morning, Jesus, I went anywhere. You just got in the boat and pushed. You went backwards. Jesus hadn't gone anywhere. He's just standing where you left him. And you know what I tell you? He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed at you. He's not, he's not angry with you. He's not waiting to punish you when you show back up. He's saying, I got a list of do's and don'ts and rules and regulations and restrictions so that you can earn your way back into your favor. You know what Jesus is doing? He's standing right where you left him, waiting on you to come back. With blessing. Hey, hey, you left me here. Hey, how was, did you have fun? Yeah, it was not, it was good, huh? Didn't, didn't like that too much? Did, did what, you thought it was a party, there was no party? They didn't bless you? Them old friends? That old way of living life, you didn't, you're not blessed? That didn't, you, got, you came away empty? Let me help you out, because this is how much I love you. How about let's do it my way? You've been, you've been doing it on the wrong side, your way. How about just throw it on the other side? Because it can't be that far apart on that little old bitty fishing boat. It can't, see, that's the difference between what's right and wrong. It's not very far apart. It's just my way of doing things, God's ways of doing it. And Jesus said, hey, throw it over there because I got a blessing for you. I've been waiting for you. I'm excited about what's about to happen to you. I'm excited about the things that are about to come into your life because I'm excited that you can't contain it. They can't, they can't pull it up. They can't pull it I love this story. They can't pull it up. There's so much goodness and mercy. I can't. Y'all don't read your Bible like I do. <laughs> you might have been looking for something for a very long time. I got to go. I got to go. I'm about to preach myself happy. You might be looking for something for a very long time. Your past, and you often wonder why you can't find happiness, can't find joy or peace. It's because your future is where Jesus is standing. And you can't get to your future through your past. You got to do it God's way. And you know what God's way is? Go forward. 
was standing there, but the disciples didn't even know it was Jesus. You got any meat? In other words, have you found what you've been looking for? And they were honest with him. No. I got a question for us this morning. Have you found what you've been looking for? And if not, could it be that you've been looking in all the wrong places for all the wrong things? Verse 6 is so powerful. Cast the net on the right side. In other words, you've been doing it your way for way too long. They still didn't know it was Jesus. Come on, worship team, we've got to be done. Come on. Here's what I love about this story. They're tired, broken, and empty from doing it their own way. And this person who they didn't know, they didn't recognize, says, try the other side. And they had every reason not to do it. In their mind, they could justify it. It's only four foot, come on somebody. It's only the width of the boat. What's he talking about? If there's no fish over here, there's no fish over here. See, that's your problem. You think there's too big a gap for you to cross. You think your past is too wide. And so therefore you don't try. They caught this net of fish. And I love what the Bible says here about Peter. At least the English Standard Version says it this way. He threw himself into the sea. In the storm, when he walked on water, he stepped over the side of the boat and probably apprehensively. Come on. Oh, it worked. And with each step, I, the Bible can't, I, don't, I can't prove it to you, but again, this is just the way I read my Bible. With each step towards Jesus, as he put his foot down, every wave met his foot, and he walked over to Jesus. He walked on water. But I can't imagine that every step wasn't a step of apprehensiveness. Come on. That's okay. Let's don't condemn him for it. And Jesus didn't. He made it there. Let me tell you how I know he made it there. Because when he started sinking, he was close enough to Jesus for Jesus just to reach out and come here. Come, come, come here. That's not what you see in John chapter 21. You see, you know why? Because Peter's already been there. The water didn't scare him. Ah! His past didn't scare him. The Bible says he threw himself. I think I wish I could see it. I would. I could have seen it. He threw himself. Uh -oh. You know why I believe that John puts that in here? Come on, Sean Brown, help me out. Because Peter's standing there in that boat and recognizes that it's Jesus. And he says... I got to go. I got to get to him. You know why? Because can't nobody do me like Jesus. Can't nobody. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. Help me, Sean. 
I know his work. I know his hand. I know that even he ain't going to let me drown. You know why I know he ain't going to let me drown? Because I've been here before. That water don't scare me. I ain't going to lie before I met Jesus. I was a knucklehead. And proud. Come on, somebody. Proud of it. Brian and Malene got in an argument one day. This is my altar call. You ready? My daughter and my son-in-law got in an argument one day. Over the fact that Brian and her were talking and Brian called me a redneck. Your dad's the biggest redneck I ever met in my life. She got all violated for me. See, I love her. She's trying to protect me. She starts crying. You call my dad a redneck. You take it back. He's not a redneck. I love my dad. I'm so mad at you. Brian calls me. I had to, hello, it's Brian. Right? And, and Brian's like, hey, bud. And I hear Melinda in the background. I'm tired of you. And all you call my dad a name. And he, he said, hey, man, I'm going to put you on speaker. I said, all right. He said, are you a redneck? I said, brother, I've been rednecking all my life. I'm just a saved one now. <laughs> I don't care. If Jesus can save me, ain't none of y'all safe. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. Can't nobody. Come on, somebody. Now, see, I just replaced one song with another one. You're welcome. In your mind. We searched all night, Lord. We didn't find nothing. Man. Peter heard it as the Lord. I love it. Spiritual significance, it means he wrapped himself when he put on his cloak. He, he put on his cloak. Now, it doesn't make sense because you think, right, when I'm jumping in the water, I don't want anything on me to cause me to drown. But see, what, what Peter is doing here is, is he's finally putting on the armor of God. And the struggle between his flesh and his spirit dies in this moment and he throws himself. He throws himself towards Jesus. He threw himself toward Jesus. See, that's where you're at this morning. Some of you, 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 reckless abandonment. And let me tell you something. You, let me tell you, I, I believe it. I don't know your story personally or whatever. Jesus ain't going to let you drown. You know why? Because you've been there before. You wouldn't be in this room this morning. He would have let you drown before. If the Lord didn't have purpose for you and glory for you and it brought you through all that trouble. If the Lord didn't have something for you to live and represent his glory in a lost and dying world. The pastor just would have left you under the water at baptism till the bubble stopped coming up. But me and you are here. We are here. We are here. And we rednecking this thing with Jesus together. Stand with me. I, see, I can't be complicated. I just see. You may tell you how to. You may, you may tell you how to deal with discouragement. You may tell you how to deal with disappointment. All of that to say this. Go forward. Come on, church. Who cares? Go forward. Go forward. 
Listen to the voice of God. Trust Him and what He says. Wrap ourselves in the full armor of God. We've got to understand that we're never alone. Even when we feel lonely, Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We can't be double-minded in our faith and unstable in all our ways. We can't blame other people for the way we've been living in disappointment and discouragement. Were other people part of that? Sure. But there ain't nothing they can do to fix yesterday either. You just got to be, be free. Let that stuff go. You got to determine that I'm not going to stay down in this situation, in this, this, this particular condition. Reflect. Listen, I want my faith to affect the circumstances, not the circumstances to affect my faith. And so for a moment, right here, right now, man, if you've been trying to find hope in yesterday and, and discouragement and disappointment has consumed your life, I want to take a minute here. Nobody's judging you. No, I just, listen, I use myself in examples. I love Jesus and I love leading this church, but I got disappointments. And just I get down and out. My wife went with me to a doctor's meeting here just a few weeks back, a month or so ago. We spent an hour with the doctor. You know what the doctor said? Don, tell me about your disappointments. Tell me about your discouragements. No, no, I came here for this thing on my arm. I want you to. She's like, no, nah, I'm not dealing with that today. And then my wife promptly threw me under the bus. And driving it, ran me over. And I sat and listened to that doctor, and I appreciated what she had to say. You know what she said to me? She said, I love Jesus too. Come on, somebody. And I said, well, I'm going to trust you. Because I trust Jesus. Come on. We all just walking. We, just, we all just riding with Jesus. Come on, get in. If you want to spend some time with the Lord, come on. Father, we love you, Jesus. Thank you for this word, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're standing right where we left you. Glory to God. With blessing in hand and embrace and so Father we stand before you right now God in this moment just contemplating forgive us Lord for trying to find hope in yesterday help us Lord to have courage to go forward come on if you want to spend some time with Jesus the altar is open